Hewitt. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Lowdown. Today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by the founder and CEO of Chicago City Soccer Club, Nick Mulvaney. Nick, welcome to the show. Connor, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a long time coming. I know we've been going back before, but thanks for having us on. I appreciate it. No, not at all. I think we have enough material anyways to get through this show. <laughs> hope so <laughs> but Nick as we begin with every guest and I'm sure as you've listened to a few episodes in the past we always begin by asking about their earliest football memory we were just talking about this the other day actually because um, Niall Quinn apparently is coming into town to Chicago next week and I just remember back even though I was older than 94 World Cup being in the US um, Italia 90 just because my dad bought me the video and I watched it over and over and over and I just remember Scalacci and obviously the unbelievable Packy Bonner save that was then, it was a mural on, I can't remember what street corner in Dublin, and it was on our bus route every time we went into town, but it was on one of the bars and might be, um, I can't think what street it's on, but it was Packy making that save. But yeah, Italia 90 for me, um, most fondest and kind of earliest memories. Ben, I heard a mention of the US there, US 94, of course, Nick. I mean, the US, which has played such a prominent role in your career today, when did that come into being? Yeah, I was with St. Kevin's all the way through. Um, and I wasn't really cutting the grade going to England on trials. And so we was just looking at different opportunities. And it was kind of nearly given up on it. And the Kalash to Eda just popped up in one of our school um, applications of a football course. And interestingly enough, I'd already done my FEI level one at 17. And so I was in my last year of, of secondary school and then just went into that with the, the goal to get to the US. My mum and dad kind of always talked about lads. I mean, we'd always seen lads coming back with injuries or homesickness from England and they dropped out of school. So my mum and dad, thankfully, were always big on education. And to get to America and do that from a scholarship at William Carey, um, the goal was always to come back and, and try and play. But... Here I am now, 21 years with it. Little little gap in London, but um, yeah, it's been an unbelievable journey that I wouldn't change for the world. But well, quite a few milestones along the way. Um, you spoke about being in Mississippi. Obviously, you spent the vast proportion of that tenure in Chicago, as we see, but a lovely mural in the background. The club founded in 2013. <laughs> Can you bring us through its origin story? Yeah, um, always been coaching. I've always been coaching since I was 16. So even through playing in college, just coaching was my my love. And luckily, I was I was pretty good at it. Um, kind of got into the college game after graduation as a GA. Loved it, but didn't feel I was equipped and ready to take that on as a career. So kind of another kind of good decision for me was I need to go learn the ropes a bit more. I was only 22. Um, I was even offered a college job at that, at that stage and I turned it down. I was like, I'm not ready. And just through connections, another Irish lad, Stephen Murray, who now does a lot for them, <clears throat> getting kids to America, met him in Chicago, just started coaching locally. And did two years in Chicago, returned to London to keep playing for two years, came back and stepped into the director role of the old club, which was Chicago Lakefront Attack Soccer Club, and now full in downtown, which was kind of at the time wasn't really recognized as a high level of soccer. A lot of the kids or families would, would drive to the suburbs with the academy in ECNL and things like that. And so I just made it a, a quest, a, a uh, I guess a, a, a goal of mine to 
keep the kids in the city and make soccer in the city or change soccer in the city and raise those standards. And I refound or renamed the club in 2013. Um, Reese Henry, who was on the board here, kind of jokingly said to me, leaving at the end of the spring season, have a think about it over the summer. But I'd already done it about eight months prior. I only told my mum and dad. And the name is basically, I wanted us to be a club for the whole city. And that's what we strive for every day. And we've now expanded into nearly 30 neighbourhoods out of the 77 and, and beyond throughout the Chicagoland. So this 10 years has is, is come quick, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was quite crazy. I mean, we are just catching up there off camera. I couldn't believe the extent of the scope and reach which you guys have over the city right now. But you speak about the past decade. I mean, how has football exactly evolved? How has it evolved within the city of Chicago over the past 10 years? I think... Like it's always been there, and I think there's that there's always been that kind of underground feel to a lot of different leagues. And when I came in and was having those conversations, there was a I don't want to say a disrespect, but I guess a lack of respect, but also understanding of what a pay-to-play model looks like in terms of the level of coaching. And then because there's many, many stories of families or individuals or communities being so-called burned with clubs coming in maybe taking the best players out of their community and bringing them on which was great for that kid but then it kind of they just leave the community as is it was kind of my goal then to say all right well the number one thing that's missing is the level of coaching and it's not all about licenses which i think we all know but it's there's definitely a component to that that you like anything you you need to be educated you need to have the knowledge you need to keep evolving with the game and that didn't seem to be happening i think when i got my a license well my b and a back to back I was the highly, highest qualified coach just within the city limits at the time. And then it started, the US soccer started to do a better job on it. But when people started to see what a, what I want to say a real, what I would say is a, a our typical or a real soccer session should look like or a, tr- a practice session where it's got all the components in it. It's not just scrimmaging or it's not just running. And that was kind of what was happening. It was either they just show up and scrimmage and play or they just show up and they're doing the old school laps and doggies and then they play. Ours was, we kind of, you know, from my, I guess, journey around the different areas through the game and, and from Mississippi to London, from Dublin to Chicago was, I just believed in and me as a player. I just want to play, but I want the scenarios. I want different activities that are teaching me different things. And that was at the time, I don't know when you started your licenses, but a lot of the stuff was, two or, or four and three goal games and things like that, which is now kind of maybe phasing out a little bit. But at the time, it was enjoyable. Kids loved it. And so I think when people started to see us in that space of running a session, like engagement, coaches, you know, young, fit, energized, getting involved, speaking to the kids, doing evaluations, speaking to the parents. You know, one of the big things I will say is that I think changed us or changed the model a bit was, Anywhere I'd ever been was like you kept the parents as far away as possible because they would be a pain in the backside, as people would say. And I, for some reason, I just felt, no, I need to embrace them because a lot of those parents at the time never played the game, never watched the game, didn't understand it. So I was like, well, we've got to educate them. We've got to teach them, the parents, why we're doing what we're doing. And if they understand that and support that, well, they're just going to reinforce it at home and it's, it development will be will, will happen quicker, right? So I think over time in those communities, they started to see that. And we got some kids, you know, on the, into scholarship, on the scholarship route. And sometimes it was the first kid in the family to even go to college. 
And so that transformed. And then I think when we raised those standards, then the clubs around us, their standards raised. And, and then we began, rather than having a rivalry that in a negative way, I started embracing the clubs. Went, Look, guys, we can all do this together and, and still be successful. And that broke down barriers and that continues to break down barriers is that we, we trust or we believe in our model. We're confident in our model. And, and we've no problem sharing it and we've no problem moving kids on to a better environment if our level or platform that we may not have or haven't had in the past. Now with USL Academy, I think now that hopefully will flip where clubs will be coming to us saying, hey, we want the kid to be in your environment. So it's been a, when you think all that in 10 years, it's a lot because it really flipped it on its head. I'm not saying we did it, but we were part of that. And I think feeling part of that is, is a proud piece for especially the city of Chicago. Um, you know, hence the name as well. Like everything that we do is just, just a pride. This is my new home. I'm getting married this this year to a local downtown Chicago girl, which she, she makes sure she lets people know she's from the city, not from the suburbs. Um, so this is my home and I treat it like that. And yeah, it's it's onwards and upwards and what we can do and develop as a, as a community, meaning the kind of region of Chicago land, you know? It's fair to say, I mean, from our conversation here, that player development really is at the heart of the club, Nick. Um, your own views on player development, as you so eloquently explained, I mean, they've been informed by your experience both playing and coaching. But is there anything that's emerged over the past 10 years which has changed your views or altered your views on player development? Good question. Um, what has altered my views? I think... This might be a little bit off of it, but I think under coming from an elitist background, and most coaches within the industry do, it's, it's people find it very difficult to understand what they've come from and understanding that in the US, you know, recreational takes up the majority of, of, of the industry. And so being able to understand that a little bit better and, and you kind of got to get in the weeds of like okay why are these kids really playing is it you know we see all the the facts and figures of it's fun it's friends and all that but then going deeper into that as well and i always remember when we the first group of our leadership there was four of us an englishman a scotsman an irishman and a serbian and many conversations we would have whether it was in the office or over beers or dinner or whatever it might be as we were building this one day it just clicked. Every conversation us four had at the time was about the elitist players in our club, which might have been maybe at that time 20 to 50 kids. And then I would always say that's our elite and they're miles off what the next elite level being, let's call it DA, ECNL, etc. And so just something came to me and I was like, the majority of our club is, in, is with us for these different reasons. A majority of that is recreational. And we all agreed on it. And remember, we went into the next year going, right, our focus for next year is the recreational, competitive, let's call it, piece of our organization. Now, that doesn't mean we forget about elite, of course. There's a balance. But we decided to engulf ourselves in that piece because it was who we were and it was what we started. But we all get caught up looking at the the stars and the, the the different platforms and getting kids to college and professional because we've come from that environment. So, like I said, this might be off topic of what you were saying, but I think that has evolved for me where 
now when we bring in coaches with UEFA licenses, like we talked about Owen earlier, is helping them understand like our model as an organization is more than just USL Academy, USL Pro. We want to cater to everybody, and we do cater to everybody. And there'll always there's always been this, I don't want to say argument, but kind of people will say Chicago City takes everybody. Absolutely, we do. We're a development club. We're here to develop kids. We're here to develop adults and, as coaches or high school as coaches. So I've no problem saying, yeah, we do. But people look at that as you're just trying to make more money. Well, no. We've we've said from day one. If you look back on any any interviews or anything I've written or over the years was development comes first and that's on the field off the field and everything that we do and so to sum that back up i guess is understanding the u.s culture in the industry within the game and what it really means to those people and not so much ourselves being from europe and looking at guys for us looking at the bigger picture of it entails so many or so so much more if that I don't know if I got way off top of the FU. <laughs> I think it's pertinent. I think it's on point because, I mean, from my point of view, there ought to be a better job of ensuring coaches have a better realisation or a clear resolution of the picture which meets them because, I mean, yeah. one question that's always on my lips speaking to CEOs and technical directors such as yourself is, I mean, is there really enough being done in coach education courses to coach the coach as to the motives as to why players play the game? Put me on the spot. I mean, I think, yeah, I think I can kindly talk about, like, I'm a big believer in education um, and ongoing education. And, like, I'm on my master's right now trying to improve my role. I do feel there's a big part missing from a, like you kind of said there, that I guess the, the basic fundamentals of being a, a role model coach, maybe, let's say. it. So, like, we've got all the activities, the session plans, the season plans, the game analysis, it's all very important. But how important is it for the level of kids the majority of these coaches are working with? That's what is, is I think, really key to this. And so I'd love to see, and we're actually going to launch a little bit. We're starting this spring. I'm, I'm going to do a high school mentorship program, free, free of charge. And just, I thought I'd get about 20 kids. We're nearly at 80. So I don't know how we're going to do this. But just teaching them more about the fundamentals of the game as a coach. Because when I did it at such a young age, I learned more about myself and my game and to become a better player. So I think that will, I know that will help. But then it's understanding, helping coaches, not so much the activity base, but like how to deal with certain individual players with different learning abilities, how to deal with parents, how to have those conversations where I think every coach can, can resonate with this kind of piece is, We've all been bitten in the backside where we may have generalized a conversation with a parent of how good their kid is doing. And I'll buy this in the backside later on because well, you told me Johnny was doing well, but you weren't 100% honest because you were afraid of disappointing the parent. So we talk a lot about that with our coaches to say, look, you know, parents will be your best friends when everything's going well, but you've just got to manage those conversations and expectations with your IDPs, making sure you're doing them regularly, that you're on the same page with that parent and they really understand that kid is the top, the middle, bottom. And what are we doing then if if whatever bucket they're in? If they're in the bottom, are we giving them extra training? Are we giving them additional IDPs? If they're at the top, are we giving them additional training sessions with the older kids, et cetera? So in coach education, I 
I feel there needs to be a bit more of that. And I think that's where coaches come in with all these grand plans, the session plans, seasonal plans, game analysis, which is great. Don't get me wrong, it's brilliant. But with you a third, four team that's just playing for fun and wants to develop their fundamentals, that can get lost. And now you got kids losing the love of the game because you're asking them to evaluate a game analysis of what you know, whatever game it might be. So I think there's there's a piece there that I do think is is missing to some some piece. And maybe that's more from a a state organization needs to do more on that, which I know ours does some coach connection once a month. Um, and then it's the case of like, do people want it or do they want to do it? So we're gonna we're gonna tippy toe into that a little bit within our communities within Chicago with the younger generation where we believed it's easier to for them well, to train them or for them to listen um, within our model and help them understand those fundamentals before they go off to do their their actual official licensing licensing thing. Yeah. And I mean, one important milestone in the club's growth has been the transition, of course, a few years ago to competitive adult soccer, Nick, in the USL. Now, for a club like yours, that it's steeped in youth development, it hasn't skipped any steps, it's played the long game. You know, a community-driven club with a family culture. As mm-hmm. the club begins to grow and compete at a higher level, how, in fact, do you sustain this? Yeah, that's, that's a big challenge, right? Um, we're now we're in our I think we're in our sixth year with the women's team we're at WPSL gone USL and then we're going into our second year the men's team our big thing with, with the adult piece was and you touch on it is the connection or the connectivity between the youth club and the way we set out with that was how can we invest in I guess the youngest adults meaning your young college players can we get them as a freshman and keep them for four years you know, so it's 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 the same concept of what we're trying to achieve, and then if, and then can they be our academy players in the future? That is just they're with us, you know, for such a long period of time where the full pathway is there. I think the challenge always is is going to be financially, um, of how we we continue to support it through sponsorship and and local investors, and I think it's USL, believe it or not, in Chicago has been we kind of the first to bring it in terms of people understanding what it is and even even coaches in the industry were like just are still learning about it and we're still learning because it is new for for this region um but it's it, the connectivity i'll always go back to my roots again with, with st kevin's boys you know i played there for my whole youth until i left home at 18 and their senior team was just amateur you know guys that were had full-time jobs and still playing the weekend or trained three, four times a week. And I just remember all the little nuggets that made me want to put on that shirt as, an, as a young adult going into senior football. The community around, which in Ireland is always around the pub, but the fellowship of family, community, um, and how do, you, how do you bring, let's just say, a non-football soccer fan into that? And I think that's, I see that as the biggest challenge because it's easy back home because everyone loves football or Gaelic. Here, you know, we're in a city with two baseball teams, basketball team, football team, obviously an MLS team, a women's team. So to be able to compete with that, our goal, which is our challenge, is to make this the best or ultimate uh, family experience 
that brings communities together. Like I said earlier, 77 of them just in the city of Chicago, and then you've got your suburbs. How do you bring all that together? And the way we're doing it right now is, is I mean, I know it's, I'll say it's a trigger or a, a buzzword, but it, it is the community outreach. And I was just telling you off, off air there, it was, there's people now reaching out after seeing what we've done in 10 years. I've delivered on what I said I wanted to do and what we and we've done the right way. And now there's this bigger community of like, right, we can trust him, we can trust them as a club, as an organization. And so bridging that and keeping that gap close, I mean, we're going it's it's people driven. At the end of the day, it's the people that are in the club from a coaching staff point uh, point of view, the parents within our youth club driving it, everything forward, and then the fans who may not have kids are are younger but want to be part of something new, different, unique. And I think that's where we've got to keep ourselves unique, which I think we will. And then it's, you know, I mean, the last one I'll probably touch on is I like to think I'm a very good listener with my, in my relation, personal relationships, in my professional relationships. And now it's starting to kind of go out into the community that, you know, a guy just told me last week, like people come in here and they just, they don't listen to what we actually need. They think they know. And I've just gone in going, look, tell me what you need. I may be able to help. I may not, but let's start there. And that's been a a real eye-opener for them, but also for me to understand their culture and how we break down those barriers of, of trust and loyalty and ultimately looking out for their people and their community. It's interesting because looking at the stats as to who listens to this podcast, Nick, it's kind of evenly split between Irish and British and then North Americans and then you have everything else that falls in between. Okay. Um, the Irish and British listeners and European that don't have the experience in the North American market. Interesting conversation we had a few weeks ago was with Cahill Conlon, VP at New England Revolution, a fellow Irishman. And we yeah. were just speaking and speaking about the Boston sports fan. Yeah, and there's probably no different right with the Chicago sports fan. Yeah. These people, yeah. they're so proud of your city. You would not believe. And they yeah. are high demanding, but once you get them on site, as you can see at Chicago City, they're very high supportive too. Yeah, that's so true. It, it's unbelievably true. I mean, it is like not to <laughs> not to down the Chicago sports, but we know that there has been success, of course, over the years. But there's been a lot of losing seasons, and the Cubs is the best example of the fan base there. You know, that was 108 years, I think it was. But yeah, it's a fan. It's a sports town. 100%. And if we can bring people closer to that action with, you know, I always think that non-league field from back home where you're closer to the field, access to me, our ownership, our coaches, our players, they're the things that I think will 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 really help where people feel connected and have those conversations of, or have a say in, in how we move forward. Um, and, and, and to me, that's, I enjoy that. And I know I'm going to enjoy it even further to be able to say, look, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? Like even like, for example, the logo behind me, we've talked about maybe a rebrand, a more modern look, and it's kind of been a 50-50. Now you got to keep it. It's, it's everything that the club is. And we'll see if we put it out there in the next year or two um, what, what might happen. But they're the things I, I get excited about because it's, it's, it's no longer me on my own in an office trying to make decisions. It's collaborative with my staff now, obviously with everything, our leadership group. And now, well, and the parents. And now it's now fans what do fans want you know and then i was just saying to you like when i go to games now i don't really look at it from a coach perspective i look at it from an ownership 
and a fan engagement of like, right, how do we get more people to these games? And when they're at the game, what are we delivering? Because we know they're not just going to sit and just for 90 minutes and want to watch a game like they do back home. And as we're speaking about, Nick, I mean, you're just back from the UK there. You're speaking about viewing things from a CEO lens and the ownership lens now as opposed to the fan. But um, I mean, for someone like yourself who continues to grow and develop, I know, for instance, you're uh, you're nearly an alumni now of GIS like myself doing the Masculine and Sports Director. Yeah. I mean, what and who is inspiring you at this present time? What and who? You know, it's, it's always a question I struggle with. I'm not going to lie. Um, and I, I always think it's just the, the box, a kind of analogy of like, you, you're only trying to beat your better, your best self. Um, I think what drives me is, is uh, and I know it's probably repetitive, but is community. And because I come from that back home, it was always one, I, I miss being part of it. And so they, they always remember the saying of my dad always said to me, it's lonely at the top. And it, it couldn't be more true because you've got to, you know, separate your friendships with, you know, with your staff, which in the beginning years we were very close. And I just, I knew what I wanted to go on and do, which was just better and better and better. How do I get this club to where I think it can and I believe it should be? with me alongside it, obviously. And so that was going you know, to, to GIS finding that was, was a perfect time for me just in the middle of COVID of like, right. Looking at my strengths, weaknesses and where I need to improve to be just better in my role today. And then of course that evolves then into, okay, this can go further because you're just constantly learning. And this, this every sport, every industry, but sport industry is evolving at such a rapid pace. But I just think as a, an inspiration is, I set out 10 years ago when I came into this club, when I saw how things were being done, I just believed it deserved better from back to our, being a sports town. There wasn't a, you know, wasn't a club in the city at the time. Fire was, was in the suburbs. Now they're back in the city, which is, is great. And I just had this, this unbelievable goal and passion and drive to go, I want to bring professional soccer, men's and women, into the city of Chicago. Because when you live in the city... The suburbs has massive complexes with multi-fields, or I'm going to sound, it did sound American there, multi-fields, uh, complexes, amazing facilities. You know, the kids go to the same high school, so they go to the same club. There's so many benefits to it. And then we, then you had our kids leaving the city. And so that, that kind of hurt, I guess, my pride a little bit of like, all right, well, if, if you know, I've got to make sure I do this now. And I've, I set out to do it and I'm continuing to do it. And I want to make sure that, you know, people left this city through COVID, through everything that was going on in Chicago, which continues to go on, which we, we see in the news, you know, every other day. But for me, it's, I guess it'd be kind of like living in Dublin as well. It's like, I just, I feel part of this city and I don't want to ever leave outside. And luckily I said earlier, I'm marrying a, a local downtown girl who doesn't want to leave the city either. But it, it there's this... Um, there's there's a there's a trend where you it's it's which it is a challenge and financially it's a challenge to raise a kid in the city, um, and a lot of people do leave for those reasons and for for other reasons. So I think I got again go back to what's driving me is I just I want what's best for this city, I want what's best for 
soccer as a community, you know, whether that's us, the fire, it doesn't matter. And then as a region, you know, I look at the U.S. national teams and I want to see more Chicago players in there. You know, as much as I will always be an Irish supporter, I now want, I'm, I'm in the U.S., I'm part of the U.S. 20-year development model in soccer. And there's something prideful to that as well, to see it evolve. Um, and then I think ultimately, probably one of the biggest... I was I probably would say inspiration, but it was a, it was a it was a turning point was when my dad passed away six years ago. Was just he had seen he got he seen us get to a certain point, which was amazing, and he was always proud and all that. And he was a big soccer fan, a big you know sports fan, big golfer, and I think that just keeps egging me on, you know. And that that's that personal piece. I think a little bit that a little a little lad from Garristown and in, in Dublin can do this. And just yeah, just keep on pushing the, the boundaries of, of what we're doing, and um, and I think the people around me inspire me every day. To be honest, because they're just they're buying into what I set out doing, and they believe in me and they trust in me. So that puts a lot of pressure on me, but that's the motivation. And you know, it's I'm kind of like I always um, I always remember the last dance, Michael Jordan always saying, and his teammates saying, you know, if you poke him, he's just going to destroy him. So. When I get poked, I just I just go again. Let's go, you know. If anything doesn't work out, I'm ready to go again. Yeah, so, yeah, there's good. your there's your long-winded answer. It's a good <laughs> one. It's a relentless pathway, it seems, Nick, with no end in sight. But, um, I mean, it's been a fantastic conversation between us both. I've really enjoyed it. Talked a lot yeah. away from it. But we spoke about the growth of Chicago City over the past 10 years. What do you foresee over the coming 10? Well... I, I scared Charlie yesterday, our director of soccer, and I told him in a meeting with someone else that for the World Cup in 26, I want us to have a membership base of 5,000. We're at about 1,200 right now. And and it's not, again, everything we talked about, it's not financially driven. It's, I just honestly really believe we're doing things differently in in this industry. And I believe everybody deserves a piece of that. And that's, that's true collaboration as well. I'm not saying we're going in, taking over clubs. It's not what we're about. Um, but I'd like our membership to increase. I think that will then increase our fan base and that increases our, our community. And I want people in our organization, like I, I believe people in our organization are in it for a reason. And it's everything we've talked about. You know, from a parent's perspective, who I have many conversations with them, you know, we do that, the audience thing I've been doing with the coaches just to, to look under the hood a bit more. And parents said to me last week, this just solidifies why we're at this organization because you're open, you're transparent, your guys are genuine. So I believe that those people come to us for that, for their kids. And so the, the I guess the senseless piece behind it is they're the kind of people I want to be around. They're the people that want to grow the game. They're the people that want to grow kids' opportunities within the city and beyond in terms of education, mental health, you know, on the field, off the field, career development, you know, being in sports. So it's community. I go back to it all the time. Is how do we grow that community in the right way, organically, authentically? Um, but the ten, next 10 years, Ireland will be in the World Cup in 26, hopefully. <laughs> That's for sure, in, in the US. And then... You know, we've, we've got a team, hopefully in USL Championship, competing. 
We've got our USL two for our collegiate players. We've got an academy, hopefully fully fully funded by then. We have a complex that we're working on right now in and around the city that our academy and our club can embrace as a home, which we've, we've never had. We rent everything from schools and parks and we're all over the city because of it. Um, and to just kind of bring everything full circle, you know, next 10 years would, would, would be an honour and a very proud moment to be able to pull all the pieces together and then who knows after that, right? Fantastic stuff. Nick, before we wrap things up, what would be the one bit of advice you'd have for people that would be looking, that would be that slightly bit inspired from the journey you've been on today? Man, you always do good questions. That's why I was always wanting to get on it because I knew you'd test me. I think, and I know this again, is it's, it's easier said than done. It's, it's something that I know I've really, really worked hard on personally and professionally. What is you've you've got to be true to yourself. You like it. There's there's no getting away from it. If you try to skip, if you try to cheat, it will always always come back to you. But if you do things the right way, and you're honest, you've got integrity of the highest order. And I did say this to my mom last year because a lot of conversations came up over the last let's say 12, 18 months. Was I realized it takes ten years just to build a a reputation. Because you've got to prove what you said you do, what you set out to do, you've done. And you're going to continue to do that and lead it. But I think just be true to yourself and everything you do. But you've got to work on it. Like through COVID, I know it was a, it was a very tough people or a very tough time for many, many people, a very sad time, including, I mean, I lost some people. But I have to take the positives out of it and go, it made me go into a rabbit hole of really, really, I lost my dad. I've been divorced. I was like, right. Okay, professionally, everything's going great. But I I can't sustain that if I'm not looking after my mental health and my physical health. And so I took a deep dive into what that meant in terms of, and I'm sure people will know the secret has always been part of my life, you know, in terms of affirmations and positive imagery and just really, really trying to understand yourself, which is not easy, right? Everyone has their, their issues. Everyone has a past. Everyone has grief. But to stay true to yourself, you got to work on yourself consistently. You know, like I just went through... The last month, because it was with the Masters in GIS, I traveled to the UK and home for two weeks. We we're planning a wedding. Tryouts is coming up, the men, men's and women's season. And this yesterday, being Monday, or well, Sunday, I made the decision, right, you've got to get back into your routines again. And it's very easy to get out of them. We all know that. But what I've, I'm very good at, because I, I say I train at it, but I work hard at it, is knowing, okay, take your fingers back to the kind of back to square one again, let's go again. Because if I don't do that, you, you lose your way. You know, you lose your way and you lose focus of of what does that, you know, that's personal relationships, family relationships, and obviously professionally. So be true to yourself is the best thing I can say. Yeah, there's a lesson in that though for everyone too, Nick, because, you know, the more quote unquote successfully become at one thing, the further you get away from that in terms of all the opportunities and doors that open up. So and I think, that, yeah, with hindsight and perspective, you just get back to square one, don't you, at the end of the day and realise why you went on a journey in the first place. That's 100%. Always got to remind yourself, you know, why. I mean, Simon Sinek always says, right, it's, it's the why. Why did you get into it? Why are you doing it? And then it's simple as whatever you put in, you, you're going to get out of it. You know, so... 
Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I also like it though because it's it freshens things up, right? If you're able, if you get, if you're able to do it, but you have to work at it, and people will say, "Yeah, but that's not me." But that's that's part of it because you're making an excuse right there. You know, it it take like it takes time waking up early, right? So the last two mornings, five a.m. wake ups, doing those affirmations, doing a bit of reading, bit of journaling. And then cracking on with your day before, like I come in early here before staff comes in to get my stuff done. And then I'm, it's more collaborative then in the afternoon before they go out on the field. That all planning that takes time, effort. And yeah, it's a, it's a challenge. It's a challenge every day for all of us. I think if you were to say this is a book, you're still in the earliest of chapters. <laughs> Be looking forward to getting you on for round two. Nick, hope you love enjoyed it. this half as much as I did interviewing you. I did, Connor, again. Thanks a million. I love what you're doing, man. Keep it up. It's you know, it's it's inspiring, I guess you could say that. So you inspire me with the conversations that you bring to the table. So I hope this does the same for others. And and you know, if anyone ever wants to reach out, please, please, please do. Check us out on the website. Um come visit us. It's an open book here. Um I actually have a couple of Irish lads coming over this summer some that are in, in the US and some back home and they're just coming in to just check it out so please anyone doors always open all including yourself to, yeah I'll have to sooner rather than later but um, all info will be in the show notes below Nick once again right. man. thank you